I was um, I was pretty devastated last Friday at the news. Oh, the last. Well, you know, he he had a fairly good long life. Ninety nine years. You can't can't really sniff at that, can you? Yeah, that the, the death was sad, but mm. I think what was really sad was the fact that it kicked Gardner's World off the TV <laughs> schedule. That's that was what I was really devastated yeah, at. I'm sorry for your loss. Thank you. <laughs> I'll cope with it. It'll be back on this week. It will be. Welcome everybody to episode 155 of the Mid-Faith Crisis podcast. My name is Nick Page. I'm joined by Joe Davis. Hello. Hello. <laughs> so, uh, have you been asked to do the funeral? Do you know, it's incredible, isn't it? I mean, I, I do all this practice and everything and no, they're, they're not even a sniff. No one no one even rang me. I, I was waiting for that call from the palace and mm. uh, well, incredibly I've been overlooked yet again. I think that's a mistake. But <laughs> it, there is, you go. it is a mistake. Because I think you could have worn your seagull mask and that would have been as, entertaining. As I it? always do. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Everyone's got to have a unique selling feature to their funerals. <laughs> it felt quite funny though, didn't it? The whole thing. I, I don't know what you felt about it. Uh, yes, I, I have a perspective on it. I mean, I, I don't feel great grief in any way. I mean, I, you know, obviously I'm sorry for the Queen because, you know, mm. they've been a team for 70 odd years and that's extraordinary. And so, yeah, mm. you, you feel that. But I suppose... I, I do sort of wonder about all the fuss over it because I think he's had an extraordinary life and he has sacrificed a lot, but he's also had a life of luxury as well. And, and, and I regularly do funerals for older people who have nothing like his limelight, but their life has been every bit as wonderful mm, mm, and extraordinary. Yes. And so I sort of I sort of think, yeah, we're, when it's a big public figure, they get a lot of attention, but it seems to me equally great lives go under the radar every day and mm. and it's my privilege to find out about them so you know i feel i feel glad that he's had 99 years and uh, i hope he has a wonderful send off albeit you know they overlooked me again well, I mean, the good thing about your uh, work is that it doesn't actually kick Gardner's World off the schedule, which I was very annoyed about, really. <laughs> yeah, <I know>. because, <laughs> because, but it was an interesting thing, because obviously the BBC, so for our overseas li- listeners, of um, uh, <laughs> former colonies, you know, um, <laughs> wherever, it, the BBC just went to wall-to-wall programming about yeah. Prince Philip. So both channels showing the same thing. Yeah. At the same time, all night. And all the radio stations, yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I guess that's standard practice, but we just haven't experienced it, really. No, we haven't, not for a, for a very long while. And so the yeah. BBC received 100,000 complaints from angry <laughs> MasterChef viewers <laughs> and presumably Gardener's World viewers. Well, there's nothing angrier than a Gardener's World viewer who hasn't got his weekly fix, I'll tell you that. Yeah. That's very grumpy. <laughs> so, how have you attempted to cheer yourself up this week? Um, I haven't done much really. I haven't been out actually. You know, because lockdown's been lifted. And I'm. Have you been out for a drink? I haven't been out for a drink. It's been no, too cold. I haven't done. No. It feels like life is returning, but it, quite mm. quietly and quite um quite gently, yeah. really. Uh, anyway, how are you? 
I'm, I'm all right. I mean, I might not have been to a pub, but I'm just going out. I'm enjoying the countryside and mm. listening to the birds. Uh, this week it was the return of um, the black caps and, uh, you know, just lots of lovely birds around and walking on the beach and being in the sun and sitting on the pier. So that's been wonderful and life-giving and uh, very good. Did I, did I mention I'd watch this film Lucy again? Have you seen Lucy with Scarlett Johansson? Yeah, I know of it. Well, uh, yes. I know so of it. it's a guilty pleasure because I mean, it's a it's a dreadful film. I think objectively it was panned by the critics, but I really love it. Uh, there's no real explanation for this other than the end scene, and I'm not going to spoil it for anyone, but the end scene is pretty much how I perceive heaven. Is it? Okay. I don't want to say any more than that, but it's 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 right on my current thinking about how heaven is because you know we talked about this a lot on podcasts. So you imagine heaven with Scarlett Johansson, do you? In a manner of speaking, <laughs> merged with her. <laughs> and what could That's... be better? <laughs> <laughs> That's enough. That's an interesting turn the conversation's taken. Well, um... No, listen, you have to watch Lucy. It is worth it for the last five minutes of the film. I should say it's quite a violent film. There's a lot of shooty-shooty scenes and bloody splattery, you know, and Mm. terrorists, Mm. you know, and all that sort of thing. But um, the end scene I just find really inspiring. It's a bit like the um, film Contact with Jodie Foster. I mean, that whole film is quite long, but the first, the opening five minutes is so breathtakingly brilliant it's worth the whole film this mm. is the other way around it's worth watching the end of the film anyway yeah so there we are. the only film i want to watch at the moment mm. to be honest is uh godzilla versus kong <laughs> <laughs> and people think i'm joking when i say so i genuinely want to watch it Do because you? i'm spending all my days immersed in church history and you know, other other stuff going on around the world. And I just get to the evenings and I think, what I really need right now is to yeah. watch a 180-foot gorilla punch a 180-foot dinosaur. That's the, what I want. <laughs> that is the film for you, then. There's no doubt I think, about it. I think I sort of need it, really. <laughs> it's great. I I need it after after reading all the comments on Facebook. You, you know, we, oh, yeah. We Go put, on, then. We, so we put up the Brian McLaren uh, interview on our website as we do we put every episode on our website but as you can imagine it's Brian McLaren so it attracts extra you know interest and you know obviously our own listeners are putting lovely things up about how helpful they found it and the sort of stand thing which is great but also we've had some strange ones some interesting one word ones someone someone who is I think it's fair to say is not a listener to the podcast just wrote apostate that was it that was their comment <laughs> No explanation. It's <laughs> just a false thing. Someone else said, God has spoken. The son of Satan is amongst you spreading evil. Beware sin will bow you down and you will be devoured in the pits of hell for the eternity of your being. Lots of love, mum. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and, then, and then it always... Ext- Here's an extraordinary phenomena. Fundamentalist Christians mm. and fundamentalist atheists they are they are not an angry bunch of people, aren't they? I mean, they, yes. it's, it's hard to tell them apart. You need to just find out which side of the fence they're on. But they behave the same way. They're very, very angry. And um, and so we had a few of those, which I've left up there just because I find it quite amusing. But, you know, I, I worry that it might upset our regular listener base, you know, when they see people bad-mouthing. 
Well, they might. They might get yeah. defence. I mean, we're actually going to talk about this. In this. We've got the second part of uh, Brian McClellan's interview. And uh, it's fascinating stuff on dealing with criticism and how he feels about all this. And, yeah, exactly. Uh, that kind of stuff. So um, that's coming up in a minute. But first, we need to make an announcement um, <laughs> about the, the Mid-Faith Crisis Church weekend. We do. Uh, and that is that it, it, it's full. Yeah, it's sold out really? in a day basically yeah yeah huh. who knew so um thank you to everybody who uh, wrote in and um we deliberately didn't go for somewhere big mm, exactly. because we thought with a weekend we wanted to do something a bit more small scale so we mm. will we'll we'll try and sort of learn from this and maybe we'll can put another mm. one on in another part of the country or something like that but yeah. um thank you ever so much for all your interest no one is more surprised than we are <laughs> than it, than yeah. it. being the mighty men of faith we are booking a tiny place yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah we just thought nobody will come um well anyway the thing is uh, there we are so um oh. it is it is full up and we will look at doing some more maybe um oh. do still get in touch if it's something you're interested in being part of sort of at another oh. time but um oh. Uh, yeah, thank you very much to everyone who's, who's yeah, thank who's you, him. Mm. and we look forward to seeing the elect. Yes, these are the true elect, aren't they? Really, these are the ones who who God intended to be there. Exactly, the chosen ones. Yeah, yeah. yeah indeed. Mm. Mind you, I don't know if that includes us, does it? No, probably not. Mm. I don't know. I can afford to go, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. Anyway, um, so. Um, Let's have a quick bit of feedback and then we'll go into the second part of the interview. Yeah, and, and by the way, thank you for people who have been writing in. We're, we're saving them. We're, we're coming with some feedback. We've even got feedback from the Margaret Metcalf uh, interview. Uh, really good uh, a bit of feedback from that one. So uh, please keep sending in your emails. But here's one from P2. who says, what a great interview with Brian McLaren. Thank you. I just finished reading Faith After Doubt and so the timing was perfect. Really looking forward to part two. I'm not quite sure how to articulate this question, but it feels important nonetheless. It's something along the lines of how can we move beyond perplexity and into harmony or faith expressed through love? It seems that associating with conventional church simply exerts a gravitational pullback to earlier stages. Giving up on faith altogether is the easiest way out of the conundrum. Again, this must require participation in a community, which I know the MFC provides to a degree. However, I think I want a community of practice. And at the moment, this feels very distant. Help. Warm good wishes. And that's from Peter. I think that's a, that's a really good uh, point. I, I, it's a very strong point about the idea that conventional mm. church ex, exerts a kind of gravitational pull. Mm. It's really well, interesting. I think it could be true as well. Yeah, or at least that you end up sitting there in deep discomfort because you, you're, yeah. you're not in the same place. Exactly This right. is something we, we ought to return to. We have talked about a lot in terms of what does a mid-faith crisis community kind of look like or what, what kind of communities do we need? I think Peter's exactly right that we do need a community, you know. Yeah, we'll come back to that after the interview, maybe. Uh, yeah, and so we need leaders and teachers. And that's largely what this second part is all about. Um, so if you want to just set up what the kind of topics you wanted to cover in the second part of the chat with with Brian. Yeah, thank you. So we finished off last time talking about authoritarian um, leaders and how they can sort of scare people back to stage one and uh, and whether evangelical and charismatic churches, in fact, encourage narcissistic leaders. Mm. And that's kind of 
uh, where he left it. <laughs> but um, but I wanted to sort of scratch beneath the surface of particularly the harmony stage and, and, and how do you really move into that and what would it look like to have a community? So it's kind of linked to Peter's question really and 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 how you might lead such a community and so all those kind of questions yeah great so here here we are this is joe talking to uh, author brian mclaren brian welcome back thank you <laughs> thank you so much for being here um last time you were talking about you know the, the stages uh, of faith uh taking us on a journey from four mm-hmm. stages simplicity complexity perplexity to harmony i want us this time to really drill down a little bit on harmony um and what that looks like um and 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 how churches can embrace this so in my own journey i must admit you know i'm, I'm 56 now you're a tiny bit older than me uh, um, nine years older <laughs> yeah and i feel sometimes i feel quite guilty that i kind of come out the game do you know what I mean? It just mm. got too much. Yes. Um, and, y- you know, the way the church was treating some people and then me having to justify my new beliefs yes, yes, and all that, yes. it just exhausted yes. me. Yes. Um, and I sometimes feel a little bit guilty about that. You know, like, oh, man, you know, you didn't yes. you didn't run the race. You you, you bugged out. Can I say something about that? Yeah, because, sure. you know, I mean, really, I, I'll just tell you, one of my dearest friends years ago, he, he was a pastor not far from where I was a pastor. And he said, can I meet you for lunch? And he said, and he said, Brian, I'm about to, I'm about to resign. Um, and I, and we were close friends. I said, I knew things were going rough, but I had no idea. And he said, well, it's, things aren't necessarily going much worse at the church. He said, but I, I, I started feeling really depressed. I started meeting with a counselor mm-hmm. and the counselor said to me uh, the other day, she said, I've been meeting with you for six months, once a week. And every week you've been less healthy than the week before. And she said, if you, if you uh, stay in this slide, she said, you're going to have less to offer your wife, less to offer your children, Mm -hmm. and you could do some permanent damage to yourself. And he said, so I've got to do this to save my life. Now, I think that is nothing to be ashamed of when a person Mm -hmm. says, this is damaging to me. Mm -hmm. In fact, if you don't, if you let the religious system suck the life out of another person, in a sense, we're empowering them. We're giving them the kind of fuel that Mm -hmm. makes them even worse, you know? So I, I don't, I, I just think in in battle, I hate to use military references, mm. but sometimes a retreat is absolutely necessary yeah. so you can yeah. regroup to ever have an advance. So yeah, I, I understand that feeling. And I've been so close to it so many times myself that I'm deeply empathetic, but I, I think anyone who survives should not feel ashamed. <laughs> well. Thank you. On, on that note, then, since we're talking about this, yeah. now, I, I, I want to ask you a question. I, you know, so I, I run I've, what I jokingly call my own cult on a Thursday night. So we've yeah. gone from the largest church in our town to the smallest church. <laughs> it meets in our, around our, around our din- dining room table and we have meals. To, I mean, when we're not in lockdown, we have meals together yes. and we chat through your book. Um, we make yes. um, that book. We make the road by walking, by the way. 
it was just the best resource for a small group like ours. It was absolutely um, terrific. And just gently helping people question the Bible narrative. So thank you for that. Uh, and that's refreshing. But I've tri- what I did was I thought, well, you know, we can't have any more people than can fit around our tables. So I thought I'd make an online space where um, doing actually one of the things you encouraged in the book, you said young people really need a place where they can ask questions more than they can get answers. Do you remember writing that? Where's that effect? You, you know, it's actually just to have that space yes. and that freedom without, well, the Bible's very clear on this. It says this and this yes. and this. Yes. Yes. And so I kind of created this space and we kind of said, look, this is for encouragement, for positivity. Yes. It's for kindness. And, you know, you have to kind of sign up to agree to those rules, but you know, there's, you know, just this this last week, I was accused of creating a space that was unchallenged, anti-evangelical, politically correct, angry, self-pitying, and you know, tons of you know emails, yeah. and, and, and it just it triggered all that stuff. It reminded yes. me of the days I had to explain my views to same-sex marriages and all that, and, yes, and it exhausted yes. the life. And I can yes, feel it. Yes, how? Yes. How? Here's here's the question, which I'm taking a long time to ask. <laughs> How have you dealt with the vitriol, with the ugly, yeah. nasty, cruel stuff yeah. that gets written yeah. every time you bring a book out? <laughs> yeah, well, um, oh my goodness. So I, to answer that question, I have to maybe go on two different, two or three different tracks. Yeah. Um, let me go on a, a sort of intellectual track for a minute. And the first thing I, that I would say to somebody like this is I would say, let's just step back for a minute. And let's realize that in every single field, this is this kind of groupthink. Mm. It happens, and when anyone differs, everyone gangs up on the person who differs. So, mm. if you were to say, um, if we were to go back in history when mm. democracy was a new idea, mm. and people started promoting democracy, those they were hunted and they were imprisoned and they, mm. you know, yeah. they were mocked, they were hated. When people said, it doesn't matter what your color of skin is, we're all equal. People were hated. And, you yeah, know, yeah. So whenever new ideas come, they are always, always, always seen as a threat, always mm. hated. Mm. And it happens in Christianity, it happens in Judaism, it happens in Islam, it happens in atheism. It happens everywhere that mm. people, it's just how people are. So yeah. I, I think one of the things that helps me is to say, these problems happening in Christianity are human problems. And this yeah. is one of the great lies that Christians tell that mm. we're better than other human beings. Mm. Well, no, we're human beings. Yeah. <laughs> Ain't that uh, the truth? <laughs> and, and sometimes people like you and me might be tempted to think Christians are worse than other human beings. <laughs> yeah. are, I think there are some forms of Christianity to quote Jesus that make people twice the sons of hell they were before. They mm. make them worse people than they were would have been yeah. otherwise, you know, yeah. that's certainly true. But, but that's the first thing I'd say. Um, second thing I'd say is, um, here, here's a funny thing that happened. Some of those people who, like I had people write whole books about me. This one famous radio <laughs> in America wrote a book about me and there was a rattlesnake on the cover, right? So yeah. <laughs> that's commitment. <laughs> my goodness. And, um, uh, and I read his book and it was so superficial yeah. and it was yeah. so facile. 
And I remember reading the book thinking, I would be so embarrassed to have written a book like that. (laughs) It's so poorly researched and so unfair and so... (laughs) And then I thought, I would rather be the one being attacked than the one doing the attacking. (laughs) So there's a certain kind of... um, you know, comfort that comes from having integrity and, and, and knowing I would rather be where I am than be the one doing mm-hmm. the attacking. And I'd much rather be the, the one being attacked than the one who is afraid to admit to the bullies who are doing the attacking that, um, that I think they're wrong, you know? So, yeah. so that, that helps, but here's what really helped me. Um, years ago, uh, one of my mentors gave me a prayer and it's called A Prayer for Enemies. It, it was written by a Serbian Orthodox bishop who was captured by the Nazis and put in prison. And if anyone's interested in it, you mm-hmm. could even maybe put it in the show notes, but yeah, if you we go will. to my website, which is brianmclaren.net, and you just put in the little search bar, A Prayer for Enemies, um, it, it yeah. will come right up. And he gave me this when I was starting to get a lot of criticism. And he said, I think you're going to need this. And uh, I've, it's very long, as you see, if you read it, but I would read that almost every day for a long period of time, so okay. much so that it's almost memorized now. But that prayer helped me in ways I, I mm. couldn't help myself. It was a gift for me. Yeah. I mean, I think as, as you talk about these stages of faith and everything, and, I, you know, I genuinely believe in inclusion um, and love for all. Yeah. Um, albeit sometimes with boundaries, of course, because I'm yeah. finite and I get exhausted yeah. by, you know, if too much of it is one way. But um, so, you know, I really don't think I get to pick and choose who who yes. gets love and kindness and who yeah. doesn't. And I love that line in your book about, I think you were saying was the effect of, you know, what is the church? Well, it's a school of love. That That's yes. actually what we're doing. So I, I kind of immediately span to, okay, well, let's start with people who are like us. That's so easy. Everyone can do it. I mean, not everyone can do even that actually, yeah. but yeah. you know, let's start with the low hanging fruit. Then let's, yeah. let's move up to loving people who irritate us. Let's just, <laughs> you know, and maybe, we can take it to ninja level and we'll start <laughs> doing our enemies, you know, yeah. which someone we know seemed to think was possible. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, you know, I, I love this idea. So that kind of leads in, we know there's going to be opposition. We know there's going to be unkindness around. I often think my, yeah, you know, I just wish my skin was thicker and the things didn't hurt me yeah. the way they do, but you know, yeah. it kind of goes with being Joe Davis, I'm afraid. Um, what kind of churches and church leaders, if this isn't too uh, vague a question, <laughs> and say if it is, do you, do you think we now need? Yeah. What are the qualities yeah. required in our churches yeah. and our church leaders now? Yeah. Well, Joe, I think I'll ease into the answer to that. But, you know, the thing you brought up about being thin, thin not having a thicker skin. Yeah. Um, I mean, there's a certain sense that, yeah, we need a thicker skin, but there's another sense that, no, it's our sensitivity that qualifies us to be pastors, you know? Yeah, exactly. Um, and so <laughs> the question is, how do, I don't think, I, I, I'm not trying to disagree with you, you know, a, a, mm. about use of the, just the term thick, thin, thicker mm. skin, but, but there's a sense, I think it, it's to say, maybe it's not how do I get a thicker skin, but it's how do I use my sensitivity to help me understand what's going on so that I don't take mm. these things as personally. Yeah. And, and what really has helped me in this is something I go into in the book in the early chapters mm. 
where I talk about the fact that we're herd creatures, you know, our mm. brains have evolved mm. so that we would, because we are herd creatures, we travel in bands. Mm. Yeah. And this goes back. I love that. Yeah. You know, if, if, if what we call Homo sapiens has been around for 200,000 years, this goes way, way back to hunter gatherer bands. Mm. And, and if I say there are people who their place in the community is to be defenders of the community. Mm. That's how they define themselves. Um, and so anyone who brings any disturbance to the community, mm. their love for the community makes them attack. Mm. And then I say, I'm definitely bringing disturbance to the community. Mm. Of course, they're going to attack me. Yeah. That's who they are. That's their role. That's what they're that's what they're paid for. That's what they're praised for. Of course, they're going to do that. That yeah. helps me have empathy for them and realize that it's not personal. They're just doing yeah. their job and I'm doing my job. And, and somehow, I don't think that means getting a thicker skin. Mm. I think it means developing compassion even for them, if, if that makes any sense at all. No, it does make um, sense. And you're speaking right into my life. So thank you. <laughs> well, it, it's... It, it, you know, and these people, you realize, you know, the way they're treating you, they're also treating their children. Hmm. And then you think what lonely old men they're going to be when they've driven their children away, you know, hmm. or they've recruited their children to be, have that same sort of vicious spirit. And yeah. then it's their children so. who are going to be the ones. And you just realize how grateful I am that I don't, that I was liberated from that, that I don't have to be passing mm. on that kind of a heritage, you know? So that's yeah. all part, part of this. But when it comes to the kinds of leaders we need, Thank I, you. I, I think about a friend of mine who used to be the principal of a, of a college. And he said, he said, when I interview people to be teachers, the first, one of the first things I wanna know is how they have suffered. Because yeah. he said, I think people who have not suffered uh, don't have the wisdom to teach in my school. Wow. And yeah. I think there's some wisdom to that, that the sufferings that we've gone through are part of what make us uh, ready, I think, to try to be helpful to other people. Mm. Yeah. So it's so ironic because that's like, well, that's a lot like Jesus, you know, by 33, he'd already been killed once. So, so, but, but the sense of being rejected and misunderstood and still, and, and having a strong sense of boundaries so that he, mm. he, he, you know, he intentionally picked some fights. I don't think people realize that, <laughs> but, it, and it wasn't that he hated people who was mean. It was, he realized there's systems of injustice at work. And I know who I am well enough that I'm willing to walk out into the middle of this and I'm willing to be the disturber of the status quo, knowing it's going to make people hate me, but knowing that this status quo is harming people and uh, it needs to be confronted. So. Yeah. So let's just say there are some people who've journeyed, you know, a while and maybe even reached the ripe old age of 56 <laughs> they, they, they may they may have suffered they may not have done but they may be a bit battle weary yes. um and they and they fantasize about leaving it all <laughs> yes. how do we help people that are maybe pushing through out yes. of perplexity yes. to harmony yes. and then how do they 
how do they form structures where that can thrive, yes. flourish? Yes. Um, yes. Because you're going to have a load of people at, you know, stage two complexity coming in wanting to enforce the rules. Yes, yes. Uh, yeah, it's really tough because yeah, it is. <laughs> because the, the stage, you have the stage one and stage two people who have their set of problems. And then stage three people are not easy to lead either, you know, because they're suspicious. They have good reasons yeah. to be suspicious of leaders. And yeah. so they don't make it uh, terribly easy um, uh, either. So it is, it, is not, it is not easy, especially because we're inheriting systems that have had a ceiling at stage two for a really long time. And some mm. that have had a ceiling at stage one. Um, and I think one thing we can imagine is that it is possible to create alternative kinds of systems where all of these stages are welcome, but where each stage doesn't have a ceiling, but it, it actually is, yes. people are taught that it will lead into the next stage. Say more about that. Yeah. So no. look, here's an interesting example. I, I really should learn this. Um, I, I don't remember these colors, but uh, if you study karate, mm. you come in as a beginning karate student and you know there's such a thing as a black belt. Yeah. Um, but you know, you're coming in. I forget what yeah. the first belt is. Maybe it's green. Yeah. yeah. You come in and you know, I'm at a green belt and then I'm going to get to an orange and a brown and a red and eventually yeah. maybe I'll get to a black, but you don't expect to get there overnight. You yeah. know, there's work to do at each stage. Well, what if Christian faith, we explain Christian faith in that way? If we were to say, mm. listen, this is a faith that takes your whole lifetime to, to develop. And so here, and we prepared people to know, mm. um, here, here's what to expect, you know. I, I think that's something we desperately need. And, you know, here's, mm. we were talking about the Bible mm. before. I think the Bible has been telling, this, telling us this all the way along, if we took time to actually mm. pay attention. You take the Bible and you start in the beginning of the Bible. There is, we start with basic goodness, right? Mm. The world is created good. Human beings get into a whole lot of trouble. And the first stage of ordering their trouble is through patriarchs, Abraham, mm. Isaac, Jacob, Joseph. You have these patriarchs, but mm. guess what? Patriarchy wasn't good enough. Mm. Eventually you have something called the law. Mm. And now the law is a step above patriarchs because it even holds the patriarchs accountable, hopefully, right? Mm. And then, and then, but law isn't good enough. Pretty soon you have the prophets and they come along and say, I don't care if you obey all the laws. If you treat people like dirt, you're still, <laughs> you yeah. and, and the prophets come along and they critique the law. Yeah. Um, and, and then you go beyond the prophets and Jesus comes along with this message of non-discriminatory universal love. And now we have something even bigger. So we could say all along the Bible has been telling us, you're going to start with patriarchs. You're going to start with authority figures. And then yeah. you're going to learn rules like the law. Mm. And then you're going to learn to challenge those rules with critical thinking. And then you're going to learn that even bigger than critical thinking is love. It's right there all yeah. along. And I think, I think that maybe we'll, I think we could be there. I, I think we could be there. And, but getting from here to there, I don't think there's any, I think there's suffering, exactly mm. the kind of suffering we've been talking about. Mm. Yeah, there definitely is. Now, um, I, I want to ask you something. Would it be weird if I read a bit of your book to you? I'd be curious. <laughs> is, so, yeah. is, that, is that okay? It's really tough to narrow down uh, one bit because, you know, and I, I ruthlessly, as you can see here, I deface all my books. Um <laughs> 
that makes a writer feel really good. Uh, no, I do. I scribble all over it um, and not nasty things. I hasten to add. Yeah. <laughs> but is it okay if I just read one page to you? This yes. is, this is from near the end. You, you'll recognize it. And you know, you're, you've been talking about the role of doubt and, and how doubt is not an enemy to faith, but it is actually the very good friend of faith. And you say this, uh, the cracking open of my beliefs was not the destruction of faith, but its liberation into a new tender stage, a new fledgling consciousness, a new freedom to stretch my wings and fly. Looking back, I now see that underneath arguments about what I believe to be true factually, something deeper and truer was happening actually. I, I mean, I'm loving the wordplay, by the way, but here we go. Oh, For example, whether or not the creation story happened factually, as described in Genesis, I was committed myself to live in the world as if it actually were a precious beautiful meaningful creation and if I were too whether or not there was a factual tree in the factual garden with a factual talking snake I was committing myself to actually live in the world aware that I have good and just limits that I should not exceed no matter how tempting the fruit of power pleasure profit or pride whether or not the extra story factually happened in history, I was committing to live in the world as if I and all my fellow humans were actually on a journey from oppression to liberation. Whether or not Jesus was factually born of a literal virgin or walked on literal water or multiplied literal bread, I was committing myself to live in the world as if what seems humanly possible may actually become possible if we dare to live generously against all odds. And then this final paragraph, what mattered most was not what I believed, the stories in a factual sense, but that I believed in the meaning they carried so I could act upon that meaning and embody it in my life. To let that meaning breathe in me, animate me, fill me. The meaning was the hidden treasure, the hidden pearl, the spirit of the story hidden in its letters and words and punctuation. Whether I considered the stories factually accurate was never the point. What actually mattered all along was whether I lived a life pregnant with the meaning those stories contained. To my surprise, when I was given permission to doubt the factuality of my beliefs, I discovered their actual life-giving purpose. I mean, if I could dub in a round of applause there, there would be screaming and cheering, people throwing their hands in there, saying hallelujah. There would be a whole chorus of angels somewhere there in the film, I imagine. Because for me, that's the most inspiring vision of a life well lived, right there. And how, how a new approach to the Bible could actually facilitate that kind of living. So. Thank you for writing that so eloquently. I, I, I don't know whether you want to add anything in there to, to, to any of that, because for me, you, you paint a picture there. This is what we could be doing in churches. This is how we could be teaching people. Well, this, that encourages me a lot, uh, you know, that that, that, that passage meant something to you, because I, I remember as, as I was writing that, I felt like this is something I've been trying to say for a long time, and maybe I'm just now seeing it clearly enough, or maybe getting mm -hmm. enough courage to say it. And I, I really think that meaning is there. You know, mm -hmm. I really think it's, it's there. It's not like we're making it up and sticking it in there. It's, it's more like we were brainwashed to not see it for, for mm -hmm. a really long time. There's a, a very famous. Uh, journalist here in the U.S. named Nicholas Kristof. He writes for the New York Times. He's just one of our very best living journalists. And he 
called me once he wrote something about one of my books and we were having a phone a conversation and he said if i understand you right brian you're saying when you read the stories about jesus feeding the hungry and healing the sick you don't really care whether those miracles literally happen you care about whether we are feeding the hungry and clothing and healing the sick. In other words, that the message of those stories is that Jesus is saying, this is the way we want to live in the world, that we, that we care for those in need and care for the vulnerable. And, um, and that to me seems to match with what Jesus says, you know, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do the things that I say, or where even the phrase, follow me, follow my example. And yeah, um, yeah so that it, that feels to me like where I've been being led through the course of my, my whole life. Mm. Well, Brian, I, that feels like the right place to uh, let you escape. <laughs> How do you keep going with all these things? It must be so tiring, <laughs> all the Zooms and podcasts. No, I, uh, I, I actually have enjoyed it so much. And, I, and it means a lot when people like you, you know, you, you put your, a lot of heart into the writing of a book. And when people get to that deeper heart, it, as readers, it means a lot. So oh. I, I want to thank you. For the, well, for the Brian, thank you so much for being on the podcast. I hope you'll come back again one day, uh, you know, maybe with the next book. Um, you've set the bar pretty high with this that one. I'm good. telling you, my friend, <laughs> thank you so much and bless you. And, and thanks for all you do. Really appreciate it. Well, there we go. That was Joe's, uh, apparently Joe's therapy session with uh, Brian McLaren. <laughs> it genuinely was. <laughs> Do you know what? He's such a lovely man. And and he talked to me for quite longer than the session was. So and then I thought afterwards, damn, I wish I'd I wish I'd kept recording that because he said so many lovely and interesting things mm. to me. But hey, that's what you get, I'm afraid quite clearly he's got a real pastoral kind of heart because he was yeah. responding to you and your issues. <laughs> yeah, sorry about that. <laughs> not I feel what the podcast is about, but who knows? No, I mean, it was. It was interesting because you were raising these questions. He was talking directly yeah. to you. I think that's wonderful mm. what that, that mm. happens. Yeah. One of the most powerful bits of that was the bit of the, the beginning when he was talking about how really but religion can be bad for your health leading mm. a church could mm. actually be actively bad for your health and that <laughs> yeah. very powerful story of the guy going to his counselor his counselor going why are you still doing this it's <laughs> yeah. he, he says, every week you seem to be less healthy than the week before <laughs> yeah. um, i had a similar conversation with my spiritual director once upon a time really? did you yeah. <laughs> I, I find it it's it's funny, but it's sad, isn't it? It shouldn't be that way. Yeah, it really it really shouldn't, but it is that way sometimes. And uh, but I I thought what was particularly lovely um, was you know when he was responding to me, sort of saying you know I think I need a thicker skin. And I haven't got one, but he's you know he said that line about I'd I'd rather be the one being attacked. Yes, and yes. also yeah, I think that. I found that very helpful. And also that some people, their roles are to be defenders of the community and that's why they attack us. And that sort of helps me have empathy. You know, if you can look mm. past the anger and, and the rage mm. and perhaps the not particularly helpful behaviour, it, help, it helps you have compassion to see they're pro they might be doing it from, a, a you know, this real desire to protect the community. Yeah, yeah, yeah. like sort of the sort of antibodies mm. in the uh, yeah, exactly right. church body. Oh. But I, I did like that, and I liked what he said. So I liked all the stuff about it being human problems, 
you know, I, I really appreciate that. that. Yes, of course it is human problems. At the same time, I also think, well, you know, yeah, but being a Christian, it should be a basic requirement for you to be a bit nice, I would have thought. You would think so. Yeah, you would think so. And, and and I love that analogy of the black belt in karate and you start at a lower belt, and it, you know, yes. as, as a real helpful way of describing, you know, because people often say, why don't we just not teach all this other stuff? But if you say to people, you can teach that stuff, but say to them, there's kind of different belts and there's different stages and actually you're going to progress through them. So once you've learnt the rules here... You might learn a bit later on that some of them can be broken. And after that, you might learn that there's a different way of interpreting the Bible. But that's OK. We're starting here. So you're saying to people, there's more to there's more to discover and there's more to go on. But here's where we are now. Mm. I kind of like that. I hope I hope it could work. But then he did also then say that um, suffering equips us for leadership. What did you think of that? Do you think that's true? I do think it's true, actually. I was talking to somebody this week who's mm. going through a bit of a tough time mm. and uh, she's a young a young preacher and I was saying, you know, this will make you a better preacher. And he's basically going through a stage three experience, as he, he calls it. And I said, look, mm. this, this will make you a better teacher. I think for me, the collapse mm. that I went through made me a better communicator, a better teacher. Mm. Um, I don't think you should seek it. No, you know, I, I don't think it's one of those things you should say. Well, in order to become a leader, I'm going to go and suffer because I think mm. life will do that to you anyway. But I think it's, yeah. I think it's true, really, and I yeah. see it all the time in work as well. How, yeah. you know, the the leadership of the persecuted church are so much their strength is so much deepened by suffering. Yeah, um, yeah, and I think you definitely will encounter suffering. If, if, if you're following the Jesus way, if you're ending up at universal love, because it will get you crucified. I and mean, that's, that's a very powerful part of the Jesus story for me that mm. we shouldn't shy away from. Uh, I think sometimes we assume that following Jesus is going to make your life happy. But actually what he did promise his disciples, as we know, was suffering. So <laughs> Yes, and persecution. You know, he, he didn't seem to imply it was an option. He just said, uh, you know, blessed are you when people persecute you in my name you could take that further to say and definitely at the hands of the religious and i loved it i loved his mm. narrative and i wondered what you thought of this because you know the bible a lot better than i do but you know this this idea of you know mirrored in the scriptures the canon of scripture is this story of you start with the patriarchs mm. a bit like stage one and then you get the law which is a bit like complexity and then you have the prophets critiquing the law which is a bit like perplexity because law can't get you the whole way and then you have jesus and universal love and which is bigger than you know the critical thinking um yeah i i thought that was great i thought mm. it's kind of if you look at the overall arc as it were storyline yes. of the Bible. yeah yeah and i think what's interesting about it is the bit after jesus yes which is the sort of early church mm. quite a lot of people want to turn that back into the law Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> Quite a lot of people they take what is actually happening, which is a ferment of trying to work out yeah. how to be a school of love, as he yeah. calls it. And, yes. You know, and then then turn it into they, they revert it into back into a whole set of laws again. Yeah. And how nice that we have that argument sort of taking place there again in scripture for us to learn from and and see. Yeah. So I think that was very helpful. And can I just go back to Peter's email because he talks about the future of church, and I was just going to say coming out of my time with Brian, which was incredibly brief, really. Um, it, I, I, and certainly reading the book, 
I sort of put a few notes down that I think the future of the church for most of us is going to be small. I think I think something that is going to happen and something that I feel I'm already seeing is we're shifting away from the big institutional church to smaller groups meeting and people considering that smaller group to be their church. I think there'll always be a role for larger churches and I think we'll always need them. But I think the trend is going to be for smaller groups of people. Um, and then I was talking to Rachel this week that maybe those smaller groups get together for the festivals. and Maybe we rediscover something about a smaller mm. group coming together to to engage in the big thing. And by festivals, I don't necessarily mean spring harvest, but, you know, like Easter and, you know, mm. the equinox or perhaps possibly and, you know, Christmas and all those sort of things. So that that's when these small groups come together for the big celebrational thing and and or singing even possibly. Because probably three or four times a year for singing is about the right amount. I can't help thinking. That's <laughs> <laughs> the way you sing it is. I mean, <laughs> I th- that, you know, that sounds like a very cell church model. You know, it sounds like what we do I with the young people. I suppose it is. People. Yeah, you I know, suppose it is. Yeah. And then they have a sort of celebration every now and again together. Uh, yeah. Um, I think demographics, I think the whole trend mm. of things is going to move them mm. that way. The thing is to kind of create a mixed economy, as it were, of churches, mm. I think, that offer something for all kinds of people, and to hope that they don't condemn each other. (laughs) Find a way to work together. Wouldn't that be amazing? What a vision. Churches that get on together. Man. (laughs) I can't even get on with you. (laughs) No, that's true. And uh, talking of which, I think we should should depart now. Yes. Um, (laughs) If you had enough of me. Yeah, you were well, Joe. I'd just like to say you will be devoured in the pits of hell for the eternity of your being. Thank you, bless you. I'm going to get a card with that on. I think. <laughs> yeah. T-shirt. <That'd> <laughs> yeah. A little, little greetings card saying how you're feeling. <laughs> yeah. You will be devoured in the pits of hell for the eternity of your being. Bless yeah. you. Maybe with a kitten on it. Yeah, that'd be lovely. That'd be great. That sounds like mid-faith crisis merch, if ever. It is. It yeah. is. Do write in everyone, and well, not everyone, because uh, we can't no. cope with 17 emails. No, that would be way uh, too many. Do some of you write in and Please let do. us know let us know what you think and mm. do get in touch. Send your emails to... Joe at midfaithcrisis.org. Uh, we'd love to hear from you. We really would. And we'll be back with you next week. We will. <laughs>